And so praise the Lord for that. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. First Corinthians chapter 1, we'll read verses 9 through 11. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, let's read them in unison, <clears throat> pausing at the punctuation marks. First Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, the Word of God says, God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth. We pray that you, Lord, would work in our hearts this evening, help us to further understand the tools that Satan uses against us in spiritual warfare and how to defend against them. Protect our church. We love you and appreciate you and ask you to give us discernment and wisdom and understanding that will benefit our lives and our church for many years to come or until we see you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. And so we're in this little mini-series about the ten tools of Satan's spiritual warfare. Satan does not change his playbook. Uh, the same ten things that he's always done since the beginning of time still work today. He has perfected the execution of them, uh, but uh, different faces, different names, different places, different times, but the playbook is the same. And so the Bible says we're not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of how Satan tries to hurt people, but we need to understand and be constantly reminded about how he works so we can recognize it, and then not fall for his tricks. <clears throat> uh, in our text, we learn that the Corinthian church had some issues. Uh, we know from reading the Bible that God loves unity. Uh, the Trinity is unified. He loves unity. His whole creation works together in unity. And God expects his people to be unified and to work together. In verse 9 that we read in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, we learn a few things. First, God is faithful. Who can say amen to that? God's faithful. If you think God lets you down, your perspective's wrong, one of these days you're going to figure out He didn't. And you're actually going to praise Him for the decisions that He made. But God is faithful. And then look what He says, By whom ye were called unto the what? The fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So God is faithful, and our faithful God calls us into fellowship with Christ His Son. And we had a, a few years ago, our theme was fellowship. We talked about this at length over the course of two years. 
And this wonderful privilege to have fellowship with God, this relationship, this partnership with God, uh, we are called into that. Now, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have perfect unity, and God calls His people into the fellowship of the Son, and then later we learn the Father and, of course, of the Spirit. So here we see that Every believer is called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ our Lord. Now look at verse 10. Now I beseech you. You know, God's called us into fellowship with himself. God's called us into unity with himself. What we learned in the year about fellowship is if we are in fellowship with God, we can be in fellowship with one another. So if our vertical relationship's right, our horizontal relationships can be right. However, what we find out is that if our horizontal relationships are are not right, if our relationships with one another are not right, then we cannot be in full fellowship with God. Does that make sense to you? For example, a child is only as right with God as they are right with their parents. So don't tell me that you, you talk back, you have a bad attitude, you disobey your parents, but all oh, me and God are close. That's a no. Right? You're only as close to God tonight in fellowship with God as you are treating your spouse. I didn't say how your spouse treats you. Sometimes you wish they would treat you better, but your responsibility is to treat them properly, and then you can be in fellowship with God. It all works together. But what we find is here in this church, we find that God had called them to be in fellowship with him, but they were not in fellowship with one another. So now they were losing out on both. Church was not what it was supposed to be. Their lives didn't have the joy and fulfillment it could have had. Their church was not being productive in fulfilling the Great Commission because the church wasn't getting along with each other. Because God said, I've called you into fellowship with me. Now I beseech you. You have to get along with each other. He says to the Corinthian church. Let's look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he invokes the name of Christ. This is a powerful, powerful truth. Look what he says. That ye all speak the same thing that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So in this verse, we find out God calls for unity in the church in three areas. Number one, your speech. We all ought to speak pretty much the same. That If the doctrine's the same, the speech should be the same. Right? Uh, we all ought to think cursing's wrong, so we don't curse. Right? We all ought to think gossip's wrong, so we don't gossip. We all ought to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, so we're all saying Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We all ought to agree that there's one way to heaven by grace through faith, so we're all saying there's one way to heaven by grace through faith. See, when the doctrine's right, the speech is right. Does that make sense to you? So he says he wants unity in speech, but then he says he wants unity in mind. He said, y'all ought to think the same. Now, this isn't talking about being drones. It's not talking about erasing your individuality. 
it's talking about having the mind of Christ. So what happens is when I start thinking like Christ, Christ can work through my individuality to do his work in the world, right? God made each one of us different for a reason. And people often say, oh, if I, if I go to church, if I surrender to God, man, he's going to take away my individuality. No, no, you're missing the point. God made you different because he wants you different, right? But he still wants you to have the same mind. And we should all strive to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to see the world the way Christ sees it. And then he says in the same judgment, and a matter of fact, perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How we see the, wor- the world, the way we call balls and strikes, our spiritual strike zone should be the same. Uh, the spiritual rules, if we were all watching a basketball game, we all ought to have the same rule book. We make the same judgments. That's a foul. He was out of bounds. That was a three-pointer. We're, we're working by the same rule book. Why? Because we have the same rule book. And churches get in trouble when they're not speaking the same and they're not believing the same and they don't have the same mind because it's my way or my way. No, I want this way. I want this way. I often tell the church, it's not my way or your way. It's God's way. And he gets his way. That means sometimes I don't get my way. And that means sometimes you don't get your way because it's his way. And then having the same judgment because we all have the same book. Now look at verse 11. How did the Apostle Paul know that there were problems? He was not in Corinth at the time. How did he know there were problems? Verse 11, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now I don't know who these people in the house of Chloe were, but I like them. Let me teach you a truth that's hard. It's simple to understand, but it's hard to practice. For the church to remain pure, people have to be willing to stand up and say, that's wrong. Shouldn't talk like that. That's not what we believe. And not just the preacher. This wasn't the pastor of the church at Corinth. This was a faithful family that said, we got problems and somebody needs to say something. Now, here's what happens Our church doesn't have any problems right now that I know of. I thank God for that. We've had them before. We'll have them again. Why? Because the best of us are sinners at best, right? Uh, Even good people have bad days. Sometimes good people start thinking sideways. They, They say dumb things. They do dumb things. They don't think right. And then pride gets involved, and everybody starts choosing sides. And we've seen this happen over and over and over, right? Here's what usually happens. There's a problem, and someone comes to me and says, Now, Pastor, I want you to know about thus and so, or I want you to know that so-and-so's got this issue, but don't tell him I said anything. <laughs> right? Because you don't want to be mad at you. And probably about eight times out of ten, I can work with that. But sometimes I'll tell people and say, You know, I appreciate you bringing this to me. But a problem like this is only fixed if you're willing to go on record and say, I saw this, I heard this, and this this isn't right. And that means good Christian people standing up and saying, I love you, but I have the, the same speech, the same mind, the same judgment. 
and I'm willing to go on record. And I like these people in the house of Chloe. They said, I'm not trying to cause any trouble. I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But we got problems, and it's not right. And it's not pleasing the Lord. And it's interesting, Paul didn't have to say their name, but why did he say it? I believe through inspiration, so that we would know all these years later. Number one, there were people there that stood up for right. And number two, so that I can remind all of us that sometimes we have to go on the record for righteousness and not be righteous in anonymity, but be righteous by stepping up and standing up. Amen? Now look at what he says in verse 12. What were some of the contentions? Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So what happened is they began to divide over personality and style. So all the people mentioned here were very different in some ways. Now what's interesting is, They preached the same message. Apollos was off a little bit at first, but eventually he was preaching the baptism of John, and Aquila and Priscilla took him and said, hey, you know, you're behind the times a little bit. Let's let's bring you up to speed on what God's been doing. Apollos became a powerful preacher. So Paul, Cephas is just another name for Peter. Do you think Peter and Paul were on the same side? Sure they were. And Christ was a leader of them all. But you had people that were dividing over style and over... Uh, over personality and carnal people will always divide over the small things the big thing is they're preaching the same christ they're serving the same god uh but i like paul's preaching better than apollos you know paul's is one of those loud mouth preachers he gets loud how many of you ever heard that well i just i don't like that loud preaching i just don't well if you go to a church where the preacher doesn't believe what he's saying then you won't find that <laughs> amen and uh, my preacher rarely raised his voice. I never planned on being a big mouth preacher. I got up to preach the first time, and it just came out. Right? It's just in me. And so uh, sometimes people get up, and they're more teachy. You know, the Apostle Paul, as far as we know, he's very powerful. But as far as we know, he didn't have a big personality. Very teachy, very line upon line. Apollos was a tremendous pulpiteer. Peter was a natural leader, just got up in the pulpit, immediately took over the service. His very presence was imposing. And then you have Christ. All very different. And people began to divide over style and personality rather than substance. And that did not please the Lord. Now look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look what he says in in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? Carnal means worldly, fleshly. Even as unto babes in Christ. Now, these are not babes as in, hey, babe. These are babies, right? They were like babies in Christ. They were born again, but they'd never really grown. Hence, we get back to the idea of doctrine. And because they had never grown... They were fighting over things that didn't matter. Verse 12, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it or to handle it, neither yet now are ye able. So in the Bible, there are milk doctrines and there are meat doctrines. Milk is easy to digest. Babies drink milk, right? 
You can't feed a baby a steak. They don't even have teeth. They need milk. Uh, but if, you, if all you do is give a grown man milk, he's going to want steak and potatoes. Or he ought to, right? <laughs> and so every sermon should have a bit of milk in it so the young Christians can say, wow, I can use that. And it should have some meat in it so the uh, more mature Christians can chew on it and digest it. Now, sometimes the children choke on the meat, and sometimes the, the, the uh, uh, more mature Christians get frustrated with the milk. But if a pastor's doing his job, there has to be both so that everybody's getting fed. Amen? And we've all seen young Christians choke on the meat. But I have to preach it because we need to be a milk and a meat church. Here he says, you can't handle the meat. Verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. Why couldn't they handle the meat? Because they were still worldly. They, They were not interested in growing. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? And he goes again into this personality thing. Look at verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So Paul pointing everybody back to God. It's not about Paul. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Peter. It's about Christ. And that's what our attention should be on. Is Christ the Lord of glory? Now why do I say all this? Because what we see here is Satan's sixth weapon in spiritual warfare. So number six in our study is discord. Discord. Satan uses discord and divisions to stop God's work in the world. Satan loves to cause discord. Now, what's discord? Discord basically means disagreement. Webster said discord is disagreement among persons or things. Between persons, difference of opinions, variance, opposition, contention, strife, any disagreement which produces angry passions, contests, disputes, litigation, or war. And so discord is that disagreement that comes in and begins to cause contention and strife. And Satan is very good at using discord. Now we know that God loves unity. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are in perfect agreement. 1 John 5, 7 says, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Doesn't get much clearer than that. We learn also that God intends for us to walk in harmony with Him. First John 1, 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So God wants us to have harmony with Him. Look at John chapter 17. 
Gospel of John, chapter 17. This is the true Lord's Prayer, the prayer that He prayed to the Father and recorded Him full. Look at John 17 and verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. He's praying for for believers. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be what? One as we are. So the standard for our Christian unity is looking to the Trinity and saying that's our goal. That we're all working in unison. You say we're different. Well, the Father, Son, Holy Ghost are different in many ways. But they're also complete, completely in unison. They are one. And we are different. But we should function as one. Why? Because we have the same mind. We have the same speech. We have the same judgment. Psalm 133.11 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Think about how nice it is when you and your, your spouse are getting along. I mean, isn't it nice that you look forward to going home? And you look forward to talking to them. You look forward to spending time with them. Think about how terrible it is whenever you're not getting along. The tension you can cut with a knife. The air in the room gets thick walking on pins and needles because you don't know when the next blow up or harsh words going to come. Same thing with your parents. Isn't it nice when parents and children get along? Isn't it terrible whenever they're not getting along? See, and folks, a lot of churches go through this where they are content to live with a thickness in the air, contention, strife, debate, division and a church like ours has to say that's not how we're going to live we'll go through we might go through periods of that we might have some good people at each other and they need to work through some things but we're not going to be one of these churches like a like a family just living with constant strife in the home we're not going to do it that's that's not how i want to live in my house that's not how the church should function and so that means it takes effort doesn't it Uh, to make sure that we are on the same page. See, Satan knows that God intends for us to walk in unity with God and one another. And as a result, he constantly seeks to cause discord and division amongst us. Look at Revelation chapter 12. You learn something about the character of Satan. Revelation chapter 12. Look at verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10. 
And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Why? For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. See, we learned something about the devil. He's an accuser. He's always pointing a finger. He's always trying to get somebody in trouble. He's a tattletale with God. You see what they did? You see what they did? You see what they did? Oh, he didn't mean that. He didn't mean that. Oh, let me tell you what, what she really meant. Let me tell you what that said. Let me, let me tell you what she really thinks about you. Let me tell you what he really thinks. It's, it's always these accusations, just a never-ending stream of accusations trying to cause discord. Let me encourage each one of us that when we get cynical and judgmental, we are not acting in the spirit of Christ. That's just the heat making that noise over there. Didn't want you to think somebody had indigestion or something over there. Like, man, what did that person eat for lunch? I'm going to pray for them right now. When we get cynical and judgmental, we are not operating in the spirit of Christ. We're actually mimicking the devil. And we've all been around people who they think they know everything. They, they think they've got it all down. The, the spirit of scorn, the spirit of negativity, the spirit of... And it's not just making fun of people. It's like... Or, or, or putting people down. Sometimes it's just that spirit of negativity. Ah, that'll never work. Ah, nobody's going to get saved. Ah, that'll never happen. Ah, that'll... These accus- an accusatory spirit, that's the devil. And we have to make sure that we don't fall into that. Our sin nature is very prone to that. So Satan accuses us to God and to one another in an attempt to sow discord. Look at Proverbs chapter 6. If you and I were to make a list of the things that God hated most, I wonder what your top six or seven things that God hates most would be. Well, you don't have to wonder because God gave us a list in the book of Proverbs. And it's not the list that you and I would make. All the sins that are so much in front of our eyes today, well, we could name those things off. And to be sure, God hates those things. But let's read the list that God hates and even about a man who is perverse and working against God. Look at verse 12. A naughty person... A wicked man walketh with a froward mouth. Now, froward means perverse. It's a negative mouth. It's a, it's a perverse mouth. It's, a, it's an accusing mouth. It's a scorning mouth. Like verse 13, he winketh with his eyes. He speaketh with his feet. He teacheth with his fingers. How do you know he's a wicked man? Because of what he says and what he does. And then look at verse 14. Frowardness is in his heart. So the froward mouth is actually just a, a manifestation of the frowardness, the perversion, the twistedness of his heart. Look what he does. He deviseth mischief continually. 
You know there are people in the world that they're just constantly thinking about how to get in trouble themselves or how to get other people in trouble. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, he soweth discord. So this agent, this, this agent of evil who actually he gets so perverted and twisted in his own heart that he begins acting out in evil ways, hurting other people, but the culmination of this evil is trying to pit people against one another. Sowing seeds of discord. And maybe you don't get in trouble today. Maybe these people don't start to fight today. But he just keeps planting that seed and watering it. And eventually he can cause trouble over here. And she can cause trouble over there. And do this and that. We all know people that love to cause trouble. We just all do. As a teenager, I didn't do it maliciously. But I knew as a lost teenager that if I ever started getting in trouble, if I could get my mom and stepdad to start fighting, they would forget about me. <laughs> right? You sow a little discord. You save yourself a beating or a grounding. It's a small price to pay. That's why I often tell parents, don't fall for this with your kids. When your kids get older, especially when they get to be pre-teens and teens, they'll try to pitch you against each other. Don't fall for it. You've got to stay one. And so there's, there's people that they love starting trouble. They love, start, they love setting little fires. And look what God says about it. So now, he soweth discord. Look at God's judgment upon this person. Verse 15, therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. So calamity is a very strong word for sudden destruction. This isn't a bad thing happening. This is calamity. This is the roof falling in. This is your life blowing up. This is terrible things happening suddenly and shockingly. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly Suddenly shall he be what? Broken without remedy. So God always prepares scorners or scornings for the scorners. Right? God judges those harshest who judge others. God punishes those the most who are trying to punish others. And then look at verse 16. After giving an illustration of this person who's acting out in these ways, personifying the sowing of discord, he then gives us a list of the top seven things he hates the most. Look at verse 16. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. So abomination is the strongest word for hate in the Bible. Look at the first thing God hates the most, a proud look. That probably wouldn't have been on your list of the top things God hates the most. Folks, we've got to understand God hates pride in a way that you and I cannot imagine. So a proud look. A lying tongue. Yeah, what's wrong with lying? God hates it. Folks, the further our world gets away from God, the more lying takes place. Why shouldn't you lie? God hates it. Look next, 
and hands that shed innocent blood. Well, God hates that. Look at verse 18. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. God hates it when people use their spare time and their brain power to think about how they could do wrong. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 6. God destroyed the whole world with the flood. Why? Because their imaginations were evil continually. And so we've got to make sure we're thinking about in our spare time, using our brain power to think about. Don't fantasize about sin. Don't think about sin. Don't, I wish I could do this, or here's what I'd do, or I can't wait to do. No, God hates it. Look at the next one. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. Boy, people that just can't wait to get into trouble. They can't wait to sin. They can't, I can't wait till I get out of my parents' house so I can. God hates that. It's wicked. I can't wait till I get out of church because tonight, God hates that. Look at the next thing he hates. Verse 19. A false witness that speaketh lies. So lying is just spreading untruths. A false witness is someone who tells lies to hurt other people. This is the worst lying of all. But look at the seventh thing he hates. The end of verse 19. And he that soweth discord among who? Brethren. God says, you know what I hate? You know what I really, really hate? Is when people or Satan tries to sow discord among my people. Because I want them to be in unity. I want them to get along. And so when you see discord and division rising up, you ought to say, I know what that is. No, it's not about what he says it is. It's not about what she says it is. It's not about what they think it is. That, that, that might be the, the thing of the day. But there's something bigger going on here. Because watch this. Satan knows that he can't kill a church. Matthew chapter 16. A church has what's called divine perpetuity. We have eternal protection. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's not just, that's not just hell attacking us. That's when we attack hell. The defensive gates can't stop our march. But what Satan can do is help a church commit suicide. A church can't be murdered, but it can commit suicide. And this sowing of discord, it happens all around, and you'll see it everywhere. An illustration you see on the news every night. Just let me throw this this at you. President Biden is starting to be considered perhaps the worst president in history. Think about that. In a year. What we do know is they don't seem to care about borders of our own nation. They're telling us that over 2 million people will have crossed into our country in the last year and a half. Think about that. Two million people. A city two-thirds the side of Chicago. 
almost 10 times the size of Boston. Think about that. But now why all of a sudden is our attention being drawn over to Ukraine? I'm not saying it's a good thing. I think, I personally think that Putin is responding to the weakness showed already in the administration. But you know how they're saying, well, hey, look, gas prices are going to go up because we gotta, we got to do right. we got to sanction these people, and we're going to have to suffer. But you think to yourself, wait a minute, gas prices were already going up. They had already doubled. Uh, now you know it's going to be maybe 5 $6 a gallon gas. They're already paying almost $5 a gallon in some places in California. I paid almost $4 a gallon today or yesterday. Well, you know, this is what we got to do. We got to take a stand. Well, no, maybe it's because you've shut down almost the entire energy sector of the United States. But see, what happens is whenever you get in trouble, if you start a fight over here, people stop looking at you. And I'm not saying that America shouldn't do something. I'm just saying you will begin to see this everywhere. You'll begin to see it spiritually. Man, a church starts doing well. I guarantee it's going to happen. March is going to come. April's going to come. May's going to come. Visitors are going to start coming. Man, we're going to we're going to start seeing people saved on a regular basis. We're going to have people saved in the prison, in the nursing homes, out on the street. Man, God's going to work. The buses are going to start coming in. We're going to get Sunday school all settled. I guarantee you. I guarantee you somebody's going to get a burr in their saddle over something. Why did pastor say that? what you know that sermon he preached like 13 weeks ago i remember he said this little phrase i said i don't even remember what he preached this morning <laughs> but you know oh you know you gotta be you gotta be careful you know if you knew what i knew you know what happens because satan loves to sow discord because if he can sow discord over here all the energy and thrusts stops for God's work and now we have to deal with these internal things man your marriage is going great you and your wife never been so close and then something stupid happens and it bothers you more than you know it should but man it bugs you and you can't seem to get over it and now we got a problem you know the truth is you've got pretty good parents they take care of you they love you but man, they, they say no one time, and this time, man, it really sticks in your craw. And now your parents are strict, and they're mean, and they're... You see how this works? Satan is very good about sowing these little seeds of discord. There's three seeds of discord he sows, and I'll just mention them to you. We'll be done. Number one's conflict. We see that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, division, strife. I believe this, I believe this, I want this, I want that. Conflict. Number two is confusion. Satan loves to work in the dark. So he plants seeds of confusion. What does she mean by that? And then he'll give you the answer. What did he mean by that? Oh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what he meant by that. You know, Satan, Satan will whisper things to you like what if could it be I don't know but it doesn't look good why didn't he or she how could they 
oh, now the confusion starts to build. So now we have conflict, we have confusion. Then the last seed he sows is competition. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about envying and strife, competitive sins like jealousy. And well, why'd they get that and I didn't? I work just as hard as they do. Why'd they get a new house? You know, I, I work just as hard as they do. Why, why do they get a new car? Oh, sure, she got a new dress. I haven't had a new dress in a long time. And what happens is you better be careful. If you start getting competitive, these competitive urges, jealousy, envy, debate, strife, they're not pleasing to the Lord. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Even the disciples fell for this tool of Satan. They're walking down the road debating about which one was the greatest among them. Well, I'm the better preacher. Everybody knows it. Well, I'm the better leader. Everybody knows it. You know, imagine these guys and Jesus are like, hey guys, what are you talking about? They're like, nothing. It's easy to fall for. Let me show you a last verse, and this is how we protect ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Boy, Satan loves to use the tool of discord. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So how do we protect ourselves? And I like the word compassion. Compassion is a mix of humility and empathy and understanding and forgiveness. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 and we see what the Lord says here. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Boy, look, we need to learn to forgive, not, not just because people deserve it, but because Christ forgave us. And then notice, he said, he said, if you forgive them, I'm going to forgive them. What happens? When somebody hurts somebody we love, we take up offense. How could you do that to my friend? How could you do that to my wife? How could you do that to my kids? How could you do that to my husband? But the Apostle Paul said, if you forgive them, I forgive them. That's a pretty good formula. But then look what he says, verse 11, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. The context of that important verse is forgiveness. One of the greatest tools of Satan is he knows that we can be unforgiving. And so he starts these fights, causes confusion, causes contention, little division, misunderstandings, frustrations, competition. And now we get hurt, we take offense, but we don't forgive. I believe one of the great sins killing the 21st century church is unforgiveness. If there's anybody in your life that you have not forgiven, you need to keep taking that to God until you get peace about it. Because unforgiveness leaves the door wide open for Satan, and we are not ignorant of his devices. When we're not willing to forgive, Satan gets an advantage over us. That's what verse 11 says. 
And so one of the ways that we deal with this discord is we, we have humility, empathy. You know, the best of us have bad days. Sometimes when people are frustrated with me or personally attacking me, my first response is to defend them privately. And my wife especially, she'll say, why are you defending them? That's not right. Or people will say, why are you defending them? I say, I'm not defending them. I'm, I'm having empathy. Maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe I don't know what's going on in their life. That, that's not normal for them. That's, that's not how they would normally be. I don't know why they're doing that. But you see, rather than get upset and frustrated and retaliate, we have compassion. We have empathy and humility. Maybe I did hurt them. I don't want to hurt them. Maybe I did. I need to find out. And then we have understanding you know, I've had bad days too. I've said things I shouldn't say. I've said things I wanted back. I've mishandled situations. So you know what? I'm going to forgive you. And I've even had people say, I don't want your forgiveness. And you say, well, I'm going to forgive you anyway because I'm forgiving you for me. There's two levels of forgiveness in the Bible. One is you forgive people because they ask for it. That restores the relationship. But there's a whole other level of forgiveness where you forgive them for your sake and God's sake. It doesn't restore the relationship, but it restores this relationship with you and God. And then maybe later, they realize they want to be right. Sometimes people don't want to be right. Sometimes they want to be mad. Sometimes they want to be angry. Sometimes they need somebody to hate on for other things going on in their lives. But I have to be right with God. Amen? And so our defense against discord is compassion, humility, empathy, understanding, forgiveness. And let's do that so God doesn't get an advantage over us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. We pray that you would help us to remember this and recognize it whenever the time comes and we see discord being planted in our families, our marriages, at work, in the church in the community, in our nation. Lord, we're not going to fall for that. We're not going to fall for discord and start fighting the wrong battles. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a forgiving people, have empathy, compassion, understanding. Sometimes we have to deal with sin, especially if it's in our zones where we are given leadership in that zone. We have to deal with it. But we're not going to retaliate. We're going to be understanding and forgiving where we can, hold people accountable where we must. Lord, help us not to fall for this satanic weapon of discord. Heads about, eyes are closed. Ask the Lord right now if he'd help you to recognize this. Maybe you've got some discord going on in your life right now. Maybe you and your husband or you and your wife aren't getting along. Folks, it's, it's bigger than whatever's wrong with you. It's Satan trying to cause discord. Maybe you and your parents or you and your children aren't getting along. It's bigger than whatever the issue is. It's Satan trying to cause discord. You and somebody in the church, it's Satan trying to cause discord. Pitting people in our nation against each other. Right versus left, rich versus poor, white versus black. It's Satan trying to cause discord. One of his greatest tools. We mustn't fall for it. Let's stand as the piano plays. Thank you.
Lord spoke to your heart, the altar's open.